Now, you don't get away that easy. There's a picture of Uncle Walt up there. What does he remind you of? Don't think. Answer. Go on. A, a, a madman. What kind of madman? Well, think about it. Just answer again. A crazy man. No, oh, you can do better than that. Free up your mind. Use your imagination. Say the first thing that pops into your head, even if it's total gibberish. Oh, uh, oh. A sweaty tooth madman. Good God, boy. There's a poet in you after all. There, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close them. Now, describe what you see. Uh, I, I close my eyes. Yes? Uh, and this image floats beside me. A sweaty tooth madman. A sweaty tooth madman with a stare that pounds my brain. Oh, that's excellent. Now, give him action. Make him do something. His hands reach out and choke me. That's wonderful, wonderful. And all the time, he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah, yeah. Truth like, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. Forget them, forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You, 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 you push it, stretch it. It'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it. It'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. Don't you forget this. What is up, guys? Welcome to Rotten Potatoes Podcast. I'm not going to say Rotten Pea. Rotten Pea. Uh, welcome rotten to pee. Rotten Potatoes Podcast, uh, where four friends sit down to review movies that you absolutely should have already seen. My name's Tyler, and I'm here with three of my best friends in the world. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Scott. I'm Jake. I'm, I'm Zach. Awesome. Well, and I'm Zach. <laughs> We're doing that again? <laughs> I'm also Zach. The RP boys. <laughs> I'm not going to be Zach today. <laughs> RP. Well, we hope you uh, we hope you tots are doing great out there, still staying uh, healthy and uh, healthy, wealthy and wise. Yeah, Rona free, Rona free. Uh, I, I am we're s- at the coves. You got to go down to the cove. <laughs> the cove. Uh, I'm super excited that we're doing this movie today. We are going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing Dead Poet Society. Yeah, I'm excited too. I like that. Yeah, I looked at Jake, and every time I look at Jake, he gets nervous. He looks at me, and then he doesn't say anything. I'm like, am I supposed to say something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. Well, you know, uh, Jake, since uh, since we had this awkward interaction, why don't you give us uh, just the facts about this film? Sure. Uh, directed by P- Peter Weir. I don't, I don't know that I know who that is. Um, <laughs> Same. Written by Tom Shulman. I don't know if I'm the best Shulman. person for this segment. <laughs> yep. Uh, who I also don't know who that is. Um, Peter Weir. He's done the Truman Show. This is going well. (laughs) (laughs) I think this might be the worst opening yet. (laughs) But we could beat it in the future. Uh, Yeah, he did do do the Truman Show, uh, Master and Commander. Most recently did uh, The Way Back, uh, which I never saw. The Uh, one that just, just came out? Well, with, like 2010, with, yeah. Is that different than the way, way back? Yeah, it's not yeah. the way, way back. It's, Wait. It's like, it's one less way. There's oh, okay. a, what movie is this? It's uh like with Colin Farrell, it's about people, I think, who uh get out of, I think they escape a concentration camp and then they have to like walk back home. Oh. I do love Colin Farrell. Because there's, oh. there's a Ben Affleck movie that just came out this year called The Way Back. Yeah. Uh, I thought that's, that's a, what you were talking about. That's a like a basketball coach movie. Yeah, yeah, not that they one. They sound similar. But the <laughs> it's funny that you said that though because the way back the one that came out in two thousand ten was in fact a remake. Interesting. So when you were like the one that just came out, I was like, yeah, the one that like not <laughs> the old one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it was also released. Oh gosh, I'm still doing this. <laughs> yeah. uh, released June second, nineteen eighty nine, a summer movie. And we've been doing a lot of Christmas movies lately. A yeah. Summer blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> right. Was this a blockbuster? It made two hundred thirty five million. That's a blockbuster. That's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty in good. 19, in yeah. nineteen eighty nine dollars, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. Think about especially with, especially with compared to the budget. Yeah. Which is sixteen point four million. Yeah. So it made over eleven times back. What it, in the investment? That's really good. That's really good. And uh, just for reference, I just plugged this into a calculator. Two hundred thirty-five million dollars in nineteen eighty-nine dollars is four hundred ninety million dollars today. That inflation isn't as much as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, I mean, still that's a lot of only, money. Yeah, that's only like twenty years ago. Yeah. So, but it's a lot of money. I mean, four ninety like in a 30. box office is you know oh thirty years ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, 
four hundred ninety million in a box office is pretty darn good, especially with that small of a budget. Yeah, uh-huh. I think this might be the smallest budget adjusted that we've done so far. I wouldn't be surprised. I think you're probably right because uh, Dirty Harry was a four million dollar budget. But that was in like sixties dollars. Yeah, I think that means it was like a hundred billion or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is the lowest budget film that we've done so far. Although Steve Zissou, no, Steve Zissou was like fifteen million. Steve Zissou was like surprisingly expensive. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but anyway, uh, I'm I I will. Tots can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the lowest budget film we've done so far. Is Steve Zissou the only movie we've watched that didn't make back its its budget? Yes. Way to go, Zach. That's, See, we're doing movies, usually, Zach, we pick movies that you absolutely should have seen, not movies that lost a bunch of money. <laughs> uh, For future. I, I the still other stand guys by gave this thing. one 84%. That's pretty high, and Rotten, uh, gosh, IMDb gave it an 8. 8.1%. That's one of the higher IMDb scores we've seen. It is. It's the second highest. Yeah, like well, it's tied for second with Braveheart. What was the highest one that we saw? Braveheart. Braveheart. Braveheart came in at eight point three on IMDb. What mm. else got an eight point one that we did? Uh, a few. No, a few good men got seven seven. It was uh, Stand by Me got eight one. Wow. Eight wow. one on IMDb. I feel like this is a better movie than both of those. Oh, I'm sorry. A, a few good men was a better movie than this and oh, uh, and Stand by Me. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I know, and it got seven seven. I don't know how they. I don't know how they pick. Well, uh, uh, this uh, this I the last thing that we'll point out in just the facts is uh, this actually won uh, best screenplay in the year it came out. Won the Oscar for best screenplay, uh, and I just thought it was interesting. I'll list all of them, but um, the other movies that were nominated for best original screenplay that year were Crimes and Misdemeanors, Do the Right Thing. Sex Lies and Videotape, and When Harry Met Sally. So When Harry Met Sally, we have a great uh, connection back to uh, two of the movies that we've done. It was a Rob Reiner film. Yeah, wait, what was... Oh, because we've done two Rob Reiner movies. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, but it was super interesting. The reason why I wanted to point out the what it won over was Do the Right Thing. It was a super controversial uh, Oscars that year that this won over Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which is widely held to be one of the best uh, movies on uh, racial injustice uh, that was ever made. I haven't seen any of those movies. Really? I've never even heard of Do the Right Thing. Oh, yeah. It's a Spike Lee classic. Um, and it this was a controversial Oscar because it was nominated for Best Screenplay, didn't win. Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture. And Driving Miss Daisy was like a pretty poor, like it was like a very white perspective of like race relations Mm -hmm. and the black perspective do the right thing didn't win and the white perspective did win uh and so it's actually a pretty like controversial not only then but still today a pretty controversial year at the academy awards it's really interesting i never knew any of that yeah kind of feels like uh moonlight's win over la la land was retribution yeah, a little bit. Uh, although it like we still had like some controversy there because La La Land got announced. <laughs> yeah, they did us dirty. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I nominated this movie, um, so I'll give a little bit of feedback why I chose it. Uh, this is my number one favorite movie of all time. Uh, and the main reason is just because of Robin Williams. Can I uh, interrupt real quick? When I yeah. said they did us dirty, I didn't mean that to sound like a white versus black thing. <laughs> it very much did. <laughs> Jake made a face. I was like, <laughs> what did I say? I really just mean because La La Land is like one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you cleared that. <laughs> I was like, I can't let this go on too long. <laughs> because and if you let it go on too long, then it just sounds like you're being defensive. Or like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Jake but anyway, didn't say yeah. anything. I, I had to piece it together myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, did, I didn't know if I should say anything. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Oh, man. Sorry to interrupt. Well, Go ahead, Tyler. No, that's okay. Uh, mostly because of Robin Williams. Like, I just identify, I think, so much with Keating. Um, like, I, he's a little bit of, like, a, 
like a, maybe not a hero, but I, I just relate. I identify a lot with him. And I'm just always a sucker for coming-of-age stories. They're probably my favorite type of movie is a coming-of-age story. And uh, this is a pretty pretty darn good one. Yeah. What? Uh, who were our late bloomers for this? Well, I was. Uh, I was as well. Okay. Zach, you had seen it before? Yeah, I've seen it before. So before we get into our uh, late bloomers, uh, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this movie? You know what i I liked the movie less this time than I did the first time I watched it. Um, that being said, I still really like this movie. I think I like the spirit of this movie and like the themes of this movie more than I do the actual movie, like the execution. Yeah, yeah, it feels a little dated. Um, it there's there's not too many like really memorable scenes. There's some parts where I feel like it's it's a little slow, maybe. Um, but for the most part, I really do like this movie. Uh, I've never been a huge like Robin Williams fans when it, when it comes to his comedy, but whenever he does like a at least somewhat dramatic part, I think he always nails it. Um, and uh, this is like Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh no, I'm not a big fan of yes. Mr. Doubtfire. Yes, that is um, such a dramatic role for him. I mean, more like Flubber. <laughs> <laughs> that Got is it. A, that's a great drama. Yeah. <laughs> um, Have but we all no, seen that? That and Aladdin. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Are you gonna add Flubber to the list? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we if we haven't all seen it, I've never. Wait, I never finished it. I've count? seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Then no, nah, he, he's he's mostly seen it. That's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've only seen twenty five percent of it. Oh, then we can possibly. It's not one you should have seen. Though. <laughs> no, no, <Probably> <laughs> I disagree. But uh, maybe I, we'll do. Maybe we'll do one month where we just do like movies <laughs> from our childhood. Movies, movies that you, you probably should, should not have seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm down for that. Flubber will make that list. Uh, but yeah, this is one of my favorite Robin William, um, characters. Uh, and like I said before, I, I love the heart of this movie. Um, anyone who's taken the Enneagram will know then what I mean by the Enneagram four. I feel like this is such an Enneagram four movie. Um, it's all about Mm. kind of, um, seeing the beauty in life and, and breaking out of the mold of everyday monotony and trying to um, just be more passionate about life and everything that it can offer you. And I love that kind of message. Um, Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed it. I really liked it. When was the first time you saw it? You said you enjoyed it less this time than the first time. Maybe, maybe like early college, late high school. So maybe like Mm. seven, eight years ago. Yeah. All right. Well, our two bloomers, our two late bloomers, Jake and Scott, who wants to go first? I'm always here, so I'll uh, I'll throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> Not always. None of us had seen Dirty Harry. That's true. Yeah, except for you, I mean. I just have to pick movies. It yeah. felt like <laughs> you hadn't seen Dirty Harry either, though, so. <laughs> it had been a while. <laughs> when we were watching that, I was like, did I see this movie? <laughs> um, no, I like this movie. Um, it was like I loved Robin Williams in it. Um, I wish there was more of him. Yeah, it, like I feel like there, I didn't get enough of that. I agree. And then I, it took a turn that I wasn't ready for, and we're gonna get into mm. that. I I didn't love, and I didn't think that it made a lot of sense. Yeah, when it happened. Yeah. So, yeah, Scott. Yeah, I thought. Um, I guess I kind of agree with Zach. Uh, I like um, what the movie's trying to do, but I feel like it could have been done better. Um. But yeah, I mean, there were some, I think, some some cool moments in the movie for me. I think uh, the movie where he has the the kids stomping around uh, and they conform to each other and he just uses it as a lesson for, like, make your own path, do what you want to do type of... Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a good one. And then, uh, what was the second one? I'm blanking on I had to. Okay. There was a <laughs> super impactful. Was it was it the the Todd scene that we just no, listened to? No, no. Oh, I remember what it was. It was um, when he was just talking about like poetry, and he's like, he's like, I know all of your uh, parents and fathers are want you to go into uh, like medical school or going to be engineers and math and physics and all these things, and um, it's great. Like those things are he basically like they help you with life. But he says like, but beauty and like poetry and those are the types of things that like we live life for Mm -hmm. like i think that was like also like a don't 
don't miss the goal by getting caught up in the details on the way. Yeah. I love that line too. The, uh, uh, engineering, medical, all those things, they're, they're noble professions and they're necessary to sustain life. But poetry, love, beauty, these are the things that we live life for. Mm-hmm. Like that is just such a, a timeless line. Uh, yeah. I'm glad so you those, like that. Those were my two. Some like, standout. Standout times, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's jump in and kind of do a little bit of the play-by-play. So we open up on Welton Academy um, and... All, like right away, we see that this is, uh, you know, a all boys prep school that is steeped in tradition uh, mm-hmm. and very like a rigorous environment, like very regimented, very uh, like almost, well, you know, maybe like military school ish. Uh, it was weird. Like <clears throat> it looked so weird to me at the beginning. Like I didn't know where we were. Like it looked like we were in a church. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was a commencement or they were starting. I had no idea what was going on for a yeah. little bit. But uh, most importantly, we start with bagpipes. Yeah, yeah I love bagpipes. <laughs> That's part of the movie. Wait, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious. Do you guys actually like or dislike the bagpipe music? No, well, I actually really like bagpipes. I actually like it too. Tyler? Yeah, I love it. I do too. I really yeah. like it. And I was watching this movie with my wife and she's like, oh, like my family loves the way bagpipes sound and I hate it. And I was just like, I love it. I think it sounds <laughs> great. She's like, yeah. it, she thought it was like, uh, it sounded like nails on a chalkboard. There's a, I'll give a free shout out to a YouTube channel called The Piano Guys. Um, but they have a, they did a cover of Fight Song. Uh, you know that song. This mm-hmm. is my fight. Song. Oh yeah, yeah. They did a cover of that. Uh, with bagpipes, mm. and oh my gosh, it's just it gives me chills. Mm. I love it. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so we we open on this academy and we uh encounter these boys uh who are going to be kind of the main characters of our story, and uh you know Neil and and Pitsy and. Uh, Nuanda, and although he wasn't Nuanda yet, it seemed a little weird. Like we met all the boys, and like a lot of them seemed like s- kind of like they were slacking. They're like, "Oh, well, I failed this, whatever, or whatever." And I was like, "This seems like a really prestigious school for you guys to be." I think they're still teenagers, you know. That's true. Uh, and uh, one of the 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 two sort of most important characters, really, to the film that we meet are the roommates Neil and uh, Todd. Uh, so Neil played by Robert Sean Leonard, who'd later go on to play, uh, Wilson in the TV show house. Um, that was really his only notable acting. Oh yeah. It's funny. I watched this, uh, with my girlfriend and then right afterwards, she's like, Oh, I want you to watch house. I'd never watched it. And then we watched the first episode and I was like, wasn't he just in dead poet society? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really funny. He's that also in, um, the first season season of stranger things too. Oh yeah, he is. That's that's right, uh, but not a not like he's super not. He's not one of the main yeah. characters. Yeah, uh, this is a little off topic, but Jake, did you know that uh, House is actually based on Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure if you knew that. A lot of there are a lot of things. He's House and Wilson and yeah, I didn't know House that. House Holmes, Watson Wilson, uh, and he's like so House is a. Uh, you know, reclusive, socially distant uh, genius at discovering the mysteries of medical issues. So, hmm. yeah, but it's based on it's it's yeah the the premise was based on Sherlock Holmes. He brought that up because I love Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I'm 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 sorry for everyone else who's like, why does that matter? But Jake's a, a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, so I have this eighty hour audiobook. Sherlock Holmes stories that I've Jeez. listened to a few times. He actually watch? really only likes Sherlock Holmes because he's really into magnifying glasses. That's oh. true. Well, and I, I imagine it every time I'm listening and I'm like, all right, where's the glass? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we meet these boys. Uh, Neil is, uh, you know, a pretty confident kid and seems like he's pretty popular, at least in his like group of friends in his circle. Uh, but he has kind of a domineering father. Wait, did we? I'm sorry, we were talking about actors. We didn't mention that Ethan Hawke was. Well, I was getting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, but that's kind of Neil. He has this domineering father figure, and he's roommates now with uh, Todd, played by Ethan Hawke. 
who and, uh, Scott had no idea who that was when we were watching this movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, he yeah, goes, oh, that's Ethan Hawke. And I was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> and I listed like 10 movies that he was in. And Scott's you know like, no, nope, You should have nope. listed. Uh, w- he was in the remake of Magnificent Seven. And I know you watched that because we oh. saw it together. He was definitely in that movie. Yeah. Does that help you? Nope. All right. (laughs) I got nothing. And uh, Todd is, uh, Todd's living in the shadow of his older brother. Um, And it seems like kind of in, in his own shadow, like uh, he he's, or maybe just afraid of his own shadow uh, is what I mean to say. Um, But uh, the, uh, the boys very quickly are introduced to uh, the character that we've all kind of said that we love uh, Mr. Keating. This, uh, Professor and uh, alum, an alum himself. Yeah, he too went to Helton. What a name! I know. Well, it was Welton, and he he says like I too oh, went to right. Helton. Okay. Like just like uh, I watched this movie a little bit ago. Oh, Forgot well, some things. That's okay. Tyler, how many times do you think you've seen this movie? Oh, probably no more than two dozen. Less than I would have thought. Still. It's still a lot for people, but yeah, if you haven't been listening, I rewatch movies a ton, and so it's kind of become a constant theme that Scott and I have watched movies like over 20 times. You have watched this movie, which is your favorite movie, less than you've watched Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I explained it in Armageddon, like Armageddon's a movie I can put on to fall asleep to, so I'm, I'm counting those. Okay. Uh, but yeah, th- because this is my favorite movie, I do feel like I don't want to burn it out. That makes All sense right. to me. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Keating, uh, the boys are, you know, in his classroom and he hasn't, he's not to be found and they're kind of just, you know, rowdy and he just walks in from his office and just starts whistling and walks out of the class and they're all kind of like, what's happening? And this kind of sets us up for kind of like how Keating's going to be throughout the whole movie. Like he's just kind of turning them on their head, like w- just being unexpected. Uh, and uh, yeah. So uh, he, that's when we have that first scene that, mm-hmm. that you were mentioning, Scott, or no, you didn't mention the scene. That's when you're uh, talking about the, where he gets the carpe taught. diem. Oh no. I, we had talked about that before we actually started recording. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. But this is when the, the famous carpe diem, scene happens uh carpe diem sees the day make your lives extraordinary and carpe yeah, there you go carpe diem that was kind of a weird scene okay, voldemort that that uh yeah that was uh not an audio clip that was just scott recreating it you're welcome magnificently <laughs> what were you saying zach i was just saying that that was kind of a weird scene what like elaborate what makes just him just him whispering like just uh, like uh, there's there's a lot of different ways you could kind of communicate this idea of like carpe diem sees the day and he chooses to like go show them like a lot of the dead alumni and then pretend to like be their ghosts whispering it to the students yeah it's just kind of a weird choice but apparently it was effective yeah and i think part of it too was like it was his way of doing it and it was like a very like poetic way of doing it Versus like a very like, we're in a classroom, I'm going to teach you about Carpe Diem. It was like, let me help you experience Carpe Diem. It was poetic, but also a little depressing. Because they're like, hey, these guys are all dead. They were like you, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's an important like lesson, like for them and like all, all of us. Like, it's, I think it's when we start to like realize our own mortality that we start to like step into being who we really are. Well, and teenagers are like notoriously feel like they're bulletproof. Uh, Like when you're a teenager, you never consider the fact that like your decisions could lead to your death. I still don't consider that. (laughs) I refuse. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that that's really one of the main undertones of the movie is that young people need to come to a moment where they come to grips with their own mortality. Um, And like, to your point, Jake, like, you know, spoilers at the end, Neil kills himself and the purpose. Wait, what? I know. I know the purpose isn't, I don't think it has anything to do with Neil. The purpose is how these boys experience the loss of their friend and come to grips with their own, uh, mortality and therefore become 
men in the way that Keating was drawing out of them. But anyway, um, that was a, a jump ahead, but I think that's the purpose of this lesson, the, the carpe diem and, and pointing out the, the mortality of life and to, you know, as the, the poem, I think it was Robert Frost uh, that they were quoting, the gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Probably. Um, that that's the point. It is, is, it's yeah. like, take advantage of the time that you have. Yeah. And so uh, they kind of have those like couple lessons that we kind of talked about earlier with like the stomping in the yard and the um, learn to like embrace these things because they bring value. And then they are kind of like starting to feel Mr. Keating a little bit. And so they go and they pull out an old yearbook and uh, they find him in it and they go and like show him and, uh, they actually end up finding this thing that he was like the headmaster of. Well, he was the, yeah, the club president of the dead poet society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they, they ask him what was, what was dead poet society? And, and, uh, he, uh, he tells them that, uh, it was, uh, that they would come together and they would, you know, uh, go through poetry. And one of the kids says, it was just a bunch of guys sitting around reading poetry. It wasn't just a bunch of guys. We weren't just guys. <laughs> uh, but I just love the way that he talks to them about poetry. And you can see it in their eyes, the way that he ignites something in them. Like this spark inside of them for something more than uh, what they have. And so they decide, mostly Neil decides, like, let's do it. Let's restart the Dead Poets Society. He says, uh, and we don't just read and write poetry. We let it drip from our mouths. Yeah. we Yeah, we let it drip Everything from our, from our is, tongues. Everything yeah. so poetic. I think it's worth yeah. mentioning as well that there's a scene, uh, to back up a little bit, he's telling them to, like, rip pages out of their books because the guy is trying to, br- uh, the, the author of the textbook is trying to break down poetry into such technical, almost mathematic terms. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, they were actually, they were literally graphing the perfection of poem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, well, another professor kind of walks by and sees it happening and, and obviously is not supportive of uh, Keating's teaching style. And so, like, there there starts to become some tension between the faculty and Keating and well, actually, no. That was uh, that was the Latin professor that walks by and sees that. I yeah, believe. he just thought there were students ripping pages out of the book, and so he jumps in. And he's like, "What's going on here?" And then Keating walks back in with the wastebasket, and he goes, "Oh, Mr. Keating, I didn't realize you were in here." And he was the one that they have a repartee a few at a few different points. Yeah, at, and the, at the, lunch. the very end, uh, when Keating is dismissed, he's the one who like is walking through the courtyard and turns and waves goodbye. Keating so they had a risk they he actually had a mutual respect for Keating um but at that lunch he says you know he and Keating have a discussion about the book ripping thing and he says you know what are you what were you doing he said I'm, I'm trying to get these kids to to think for themselves and uh he says uh you know oh well I don't, I don't believe in that like he's just a little cynical yeah about it and uh and Keating, uh, he quotes uh, he quotes a poem to Keating, and Keating quote uh, you know r- quotes back something else. Uh, he says uh, something about uh, you know something about dreams, like that we we were always supposed to be dreamers. Twas twas always thus, and always thus shall be. And he and he goes, is that Tennyson? And he goes, Keating. And he laughs, and he's like, okay, like so they had a respect for each other, mm. but. I do love that scene and I'm glad you brought it back up um, because that's the, that's the scene as well when he uh, has them. It's the other one that Scott had mentioned. The um, we read and write poetry uh, because you know, that's what the that's beauty and that's what we live for. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has them, he, he has them huddle up. And I love this scene telling him the life secret. Yeah, like come here, huddle up. Like let's let's talk about life secret, and uh, he he refers to another poem that he says, uh, "What is life? Oh me, oh my, uh, and the things recurring." Answer: That life goes on, or that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. And he asks the boys, "What will your verse be?" And I love that. I love that concept of of just really challenging young teenagers to like, hey, like. Uh, what's the point of life? The point of life is that the powerful play goes on and you get to play a part in it and you get to choose what part you play 
in uh, this, you know, long stretching line of life. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so. They start the, the Dead Poet Society back up. Yeah, they meet in a cave. Old Indian cave. Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts off kind of ridiculous. Like they're they're not sure if they're. They're not quite taking it seriously. Yeah, like it kind of blowing feels, notes on horns at each other. And it kind of feels bring like, like they, a snack. Yeah, like Go they kind of don't understand the point of it. Like Neil, it kind of feels like Neil knows what like what it's supposed to be. He's like all in, but the other other kids aren't completely convinced yet, and they're yeah. still kind of goofing off. And it's cool to see as the movie goes, they they get more and more into it. Yeah, yeah, they they especially uh, no one more than uh, Nuanda. Yeah, Nuanda. What was his actual name? Uh, is it Hamilton uh, or something? Or? No, it's... Uh, I don't remember. I just always know him. Who brought Nuanda. a half-eaten bread roll? <laughs> I'm, I'm eating, eating the other bread. half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time keeping track of all these kids at one point. Where, like, I just didn't know who was who. Nu- yeah. Nuanda and Knox looked so similar that for yeah. the first, like, maybe fourth of the movie, I thought they were the same character. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, I, I guess I've never had that problem. Charlie Dalton was his name, by the way. Dalton, that was the character's yeah. name. Dalton. Um, I've, I've never had that problem, but uh, I do want to say, like, I love how, uh, like, close these young actors seemed. Like, it seemed like they had really great chemistry with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, Was this the one I was reading about that they had them all, like, stay together? Yeah, yeah. So the director, Peter Weir, had all of the boys uh, room together during production. So they were all uh, sleeping together in the same room to just kind of help them be, um, kind of help them be more bonded. Um, and actually, um, also kind of crazy, uh, this is, like, super rare in like film, like how films are made. But this is one of the handful of movies that was shot chronologically. Oh, wow. Interesting. Like normally you shoot scenes that make sense together on a certain day. Like if you're going to be in this one room, you shoot all the scenes that you're going to be in that room. Uh, even if it's like in the beginning of the movie, and at the end of the movie, if you're going to be in that room, might as well get them all now rather than having the crew set up and tear down, set up, tear down in this room. And uh, Peter Weir made the decision to film it chronologically because he really wanted the boys to actually bond over time. Like he wanted us to feel they're getting closer together as time went on. Hmm, that's, uh, yeah, you know, that's a really cool notion. Yeah, super like creative decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, and you know, just to see them bond with Keating more over time as well, not just together, but you know, rather than having all this time with Robin Williams, uh, and like having great chemistry with them, they wanted the director wanted the boys to feel a little bit of mystique around Robin Williams at the beginning. And then as time went on, become more familiar with him, Mm. which I, again, like, I just think is a really like, as a director, it's a very intentional way uh, to do things very differently. Yeah, I'd, know? I'd say that that was uh, pretty effective because you can kind of see that translated well throughout the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Robin Williams said that this was, uh, that not only was this one of his favorite movies he ever did, but that uh, the creative relationship that he had with uh, Weir um, was the best he's ever had with a director. I think because Peter Weir was just so thoughtful and intentional about some of those things, I think Robin Williams really, really appreciated that. That's cool. Anyway, uh, so the boys start back up the Dead Poets Society, and it really does spark a lot in several of them. But again, most notably, obviously, Nuwanda, although he was kind of a static character, like he was just always the the most passionate of them about he, everything kind of had like a misinterpretation, like almost misguided yeah. feelings towards it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think he just took it a little too far mm-hmm. at times. Um, but the people who, you know, were really focused on are Neil and Todd. Uh, and Neil is taking this very much to heart and man, he just feels like he's alive for the first time ever. And Todd, it seems like really wants that, but just really doesn't see in himself anything of value. Um, like he uh, is just always like, ah, oh, no, I, I can't do that. Like I can't read poetry out loud. Like 
you know, he, he just is very shy. And, and again, I think just very afraid of, of, um, what's whatever's inside of him. Um, and, and I think more so he's afraid that there's nothing more inside of him that then is actually there. And, uh, that's, I don't know, that's just such a relatable character, you know, like it's a, it's a relatable character struggle to, to be unsure that you have anything of value inside you. Mm -hmm. So, and out of that, we have Todd's, uh, you know, uh, yop slash his spontaneous poetry that he has in that one lesson with Keating, which we listened to earlier. Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts, actually, when he, he kind of was like, I didn't do it. I didn't do my poetry. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm going to make you do it. Like he wanted to bring him out and bring that out of him. That was, I like, I think it was probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. I don't think I disagree with you. Uh, And I think that's why I've just, I have in some ways really looked up to Keating and I have identified with Keating is I've just always, my, my like greatest hope in life is to draw things out of people. Uh, And the way that he does that with Todd is just so, I don't know. It's powerful. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So after that, uh, Nuwanda actually um, gets something posted in the school paper, but I kind of missed this part a little bit. Like, I don't know exactly what was in the, the article. He posted an article that was written by the dead poet society. So he's, he used the dead poet society name as the author of the article. And it it just said like, uh, Welton should admit girls to school. Ah. Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. I, everybody was outraged over it. And so I was like, was it something really crass? No, it was but just... I forgot. It was just that it was put in the school paper, like, that mm-hmm. they were... The school was upset by it. Like, they're just a very authoritative administration, school administration. Got it. Like, the dean's just a very, like... Uh, you bunch of kids need to just be disciplined. Like his his main value in education is discipline, and Keating's main value in education is inspiration. Uh, and those are the two like diametric like positions, uh, is with the dean and with uh, Keating. But yeah, Nuanda gets that in the paper, and then as a way to sort of like take the heat on himself. Uh, they have an assembly to like, you know, demand students, information. Yeah. And uh, he uh, pretends he's got a phone call from God for the, for uh, the uh, headmaster, headmaster Nolan. <laughs> so it's God. He says we should let girls into Welton. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets beaten. Yeah. That was, I was like, you could, I was like, I know you could paddle kids. I didn't know anybody was paddling teenagers. Oh Yeah. Ever, but in the 80s? <laughs> so uh, not long before, like while we were still alive, Woodcrest was still, uh, the high school we all went to was still paddling kids. That is crazy. Yeah. That's what I heard anyway. Wow. Yeah. Um, that my, is I just got a notification that our SD card has limited space. I dumped the SD card and I forgot to... F- format it so we've got to wrap this show up in 14 minutes i think we can do I it i think we, we do, it. do it yeah we could do that there's not too much um, left of the movie no there's not um, uh so neil uh oh go ahead zach i was just i was gonna kind of pick up a little bit um so th- in other ways that he, keating's kind of inspiring the students neil uh neil sees that there's a play going on um a midsummer night's dream yeah and so he tries out um and he gets so excited about the aspect of acting in this play um and ends up getting the part and uh is so nervous to to tell his dad because apparently uh, for some reason he needs permission to be able to do it i think from the yeah master yeah, yeah well his dad was telling him he needed to drop extra cur- extracurriculars because he was taking too many classes yeah. or whatever. I don't remember why, but at the beginning he was like, you're dropping this and you're dropping that. And he's like, but I got all A's. And he's like, we well, still have to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, he, he, with Keating's help is able to convince his dad to let him do the play still. And so he goes, and he does the play and Keating. Oh, he's, n- he's not able to. Yeah. He lies. Oh, he does. Yeah. I yeah. thought he so tells, he goes, um, Keating, like he wasn't happy, but he let me. Did I miss something? He was lying. Yeah, it felt very much like a lie. Yeah, and, and like so the shot there made it seem like 
like um like you Robin Williams knew did they like down. did they I mean I thought maybe he wasn't being completely honest but like is that just kind of implied that that was not honest How, well what happens later would show that he did not have his dad's permission yeah because his dad shows up and is like furious that he like uh, disobeyed him how did his dad know about the play he told him about it they had the conversation. No, I room. know, but then how did it, so his dad assumed mm-hmm. that he was lying and that he was still going to? Well, no, yeah, he somebody he heard from somebody at the. He's like, I bumped into it. He's like, Oh, my niece is in a play with your son. That was yeah, that was that prior. Was but I think but, he oh, just showed right. up to see if he actually wasn't going to do it or not. Okay, yeah. okay. Regardless, he he does the play. His dad shows up. Um, well, he has this. Well, before he does the play, he has that big heart to heart with Robin Williams, and then they're like, he's like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what makes me happy. And he's like, you need to tell your dad. And like, he says he's going to do it. Like he feels, it feels like he's going to get there. And like, yeah, like it seems like he's finally realizing who he is and what's going to make him happy. And finally realizing that he, even though it seems insurmountable that he has what it takes to stand up to his father and, and not stand up to him to disobey him, but stand up to him to communicate uh, what he cares about and what he's passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't. Yeah, that was like my uh, my first big issue when we hit that was like I I feel I why didn't he get there? Like I I thought he was all the way there and like he just didn't get it. Yeah, I think sometimes especially for kids and especially kids with domineering fathers, I think sometimes it's hard to Im- like you just feel stuck. Like when you have domineering parents, you just feel stuck. And uh, I think that's how Neil really felt. I think he just felt uh just very, very, uh, you know, a strong uh, obligation to abide by his father's wishes um, because that's how his dad raised him and uh, with that obligation. And, and so I just, I feel like he just couldn't see a world in which uh, his father would see him for who he really is and that he would be able to show his father who he really is. There's just a, a real disconnect and distance between him and his dad mm-hmm. that he just felt was insurmountable. Yeah. So he does the play, uh, and then, uh, he, of course, he uh, is found out by his father. His father is furious and is talking, you know, he takes him home, and he's like, I'm I'm taking, I'm pulling you out of that school right now, and you're going to go somewhere else, I, and you're going to do what I want. Well, he was also blaming Keating for the way he was acting. His son was yes. acting. He's like, you stay away from my kid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, not only did he not see his son as having agency in his own life, but he uh, didn't see any role that he played in his son's rebellion. Yeah. Like the father saw no rebell- no uh, no responsibility in his own son's rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, blamed Keating. And so uh, Neil is just devastated and takes his own life with his father's revolver. That felt so out of nowhere to me. Like mm-hmm. everybody's reactions felt out of nowhere to yeah. me. Like in that whole scene where it was like, we're sending you to, you continually disobey. And it's like, well, he disobeyed on this one thing, but I don't see yeah. him really being that disobedient. And so he's like, I'm sending you to military school. Yeah. And that seems so unwarranted to me. Yeah. And then his response and killing himself seems so unwarranted to me. So much so that like when he was down there uh, and he's pulling the gun out, I was like, what is that? That's not a gun. Like, <laughs> it's like my girlfriend's like, that's a gun. And I'm like, no, there's no way that he's going to shoot himself. Absolutely no way. And then he did. I was just not ready for it. I think yeah. uh, it, it didn't, not that it was completely out of left field to me. I, I tried to put myself in that situation. The idea of, kind of growing accustomed to like having an idea of what your life is going to look like. And then in one night realizing that the next 10 years of your life are going to look drastically different and Mm. being, having the maturity level of a high schooler to be able to handle those emotions. I, and you know, not in a healthy way. I could kind of see how that would maybe make sense. in just like a very moment, uh, um, you know, in that moment, having a very poor response to uh, a really drastic, change in, in life direction the only thing that felt a little uh kind of out of the blue was that it, it seemed like the fact that he was not able to act anymore seemed like that was kind of what was one of the big factors in pushing for this response and he'd only acted like really once before i don't know if we like 
if it was implied at all that he had had any interest in acting before or not. Um, but it kind of seemed like this one thing that he had just started doing was just taken away from him. And the thought of losing that was so great that kind of pushed him to this. But I, I didn't hate that scene. Um, I thought it made sense that he just, you know, that's a huge thing to drop on someone that like you, you're leaving all your friends. You're going to enroll in this military school for the next 10 years. Um, I just felt like he went without a fight before then. Like he was talking and like, if it, if it was so big to him to the point where he was going to kill himself, he didn't offer any struggle or show even any sign that I think he's just terrified. This of was coming father. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's what it is too. I think he's terrified of his father and I'm going to read into it a little bit. I think this is subtext, but I think it's not so much the acting uh, specifically. I think it's more so that he was really seeing acting at this point as his identity. The mm. way that he was talking to Robin Williams and uh, Todd and to his other friends is that acting, he, he really took on acting as an identity piece. And uh, here's his dad saying, uh, your what you're taking on as your identity is insufficient for me. That makes sense. the The first thing that he decided to do himself that his father hadn't kind of already set in course for him. Right, and uh, and so I think what he killed himself for, I I would read into that and say that what he killed himself for was not not being able to act anymore, but not being that who he was was not enough in his father's eyes. Who he thought he was, who he saw himself to be, was not enough in his father's eyes. For the sake of time, should we skip to the end? Uh, yeah, well, well, I think we're okay, we're okay for the time. most part. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, let us know when we need to kind of jump. Cool. But um, yeah, so the, the boys take it very hard, uh, none more so than Todd. Uh, and, uh, that scene where he walks out into the snow and is screaming, that was actually, uh, one take. They had to do it in one take because of the snowfall. They couldn't like recreate the snowfall apparently, uh, like his, his footprints in the snow, basically they didn't, they didn't want to have him, you know, walking through footprints. They wanted to be fresh snowfall. And I thought Ethan Hawke nailed that for only having one chance to do it. Yeah. Like that. I'm shocked. Yeah. Um, and so Todd takes it very poorly. The administration and Neil's parents especially pin all of it on Keating. And uh, Cameron betrays their Keating and their friends. I never liked that kid, and I had no reason to not like him, really. He was just kind of like, I just didn't I like mean, him. From never the trust a ginger. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if my hair has come up in many of these photoshops. <laughs> I hope the people know how offensive that was. From the from the get go, though, he, Cameron's the one who doesn't want to go meet in the cave, and he's all nervous about that. Like he's kind of the worst from the beginning. Oh, yeah, he's a worm. Yeah, from the get go, uh, he's just like the sec def from uh, Independence Day. <laughs> just yes. a, a sniveling weasel. <laughs> so uh, the uh, it ends with the the iconic moment, the iconic scene of Keating is released and he's clearing out his, you know, office and, and Nolan is, you know, teaching the class, the J Evans Pritchett way. And, and they had all torn it out of their, they books. had all torn out of their books. And, uh, he, uh, Keating is walking out and, uh, I just love Todd. Oh, I'm getting chills right now. He, uh, he says, Oh, captain, my captain. And he stands on his desk. And that was one of the lessons that, that Williams had taught them. And then one by one, each, not all, but um, several of the boys in the class and all of Dead Poets Society uh, stand on their desks. Except for Cameron. Except for Cameron and as, a, as an honor and a tribute to him. Actually, Cameron was supposed to in the script. And the actor, the, the kid, uh, said, no, I don't think that the character would do that. And so the kid called an audible. And, That's a good choice. Uh, good on him because I would have hated it. Yeah. If oh yeah. He stood up. Me too. And I think he was right. I think that was a really great uh, change from a from an actor. I teared up during that part, um, and I loved that it looked it looked kind of like a painting almost. Like yeah. You have all the kids, but then the other kids like their their um, stature is so dramatic. Their perspective. Yeah. That low shot up. Yeah. And they're either like the other kids are either like, they have their heads in their books. Like they're like so ashamed yes. and it looked like this like accidental Renaissance painting. Yes. It's a really totally. great shot. It's one of my favorite shots. Uh, one of my favorite shots in any movie. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, uh, that does it for this. Um, two other little things that I just had to point out. Um, we almost didn't have a Robin Williams Keating. Uh, it was actually originally supposed to be Liam Neeson, Ugh. then Mel Gibson, then <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. I would have hated all of them. Me too. Me too. I, I feel and like I thank could God see. We had Robin I Williams. feel like I could see Dustin Hoffman. Not as good as Robin. Williams, I don't think though. anyone. I don't know would have been as good. Who as... would have been worse between Mel Gibson or Liam Neeson? Yeah, I, I oh, could I, even. See, I would have loved both of those. I could even see Mel Gibson doing a decent job, but you know, Robin was yeah. the, was the best uh, choice for it, and Liam Neeson, I think, it was the worst choice for that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Perhaps we'll never know. And uh, Jake, this will be of uh, special interest uh, to not only you, but our, our attorneys that uh, River Phoenix was actually, he read for the part of Neil and was turned down. How different would, you know, the world be if he got that role? I could have seen Who River knows? Phoenix in, in that role. It would have been pretty but tragic for him to kill himself in the movie and then later die. That'd yeah. be pretty I, dark. Maybe he wouldn't have died, though. Maybe we'll never know. know. The movie would have been even more popular and would have done even more. So Uh, he could have got more drugs to OD on. (laughs) All right. Well, we're almost out of time. So favorite parts, favorite lines. Let's go. Zach. Favorite. uh, You know, any part with Keating giving uh, a sentimental speech is one of my favorite parts. But my favorite line um, is you guys already kind of mentioned it a couple times, but it's actually the line he says right before he gets to the how the other professions are noble professions. He says, we don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we're members of the human race and the human race Mm. is filled with passion. Love that Mm. line. Such a good line. Yeah. Jake. Yeah. I mean, I talked about my favorite part earlier in the movie with the uh, impromptu poetry that he makes Todd, uh, Todd give closes eyes in front of the class. I don't know that I had a favorite line. I I did like that. um, The, you may contribute a verse. What will your verse mm-hmm. be? That might have been my favorite line. Yeah. If I had to pick one. Yeah, I'm going to go with the one right after Zach's, the one with... Uh, noble Professions. Yeah, Noble Professions, but love, poetry. Those are the things that we live life for. I'm going to agree with you. That's my favorite line and agree that every part with Keating is my favorite part. All right, we have like probably 30 seconds. So, Scott, how would you rate this movie? 8.1 uh, Suicides. I'll give it. I'm going to give it. Go ahead, Jake. I'm going to give it like eight Harry Robin William arms. <laughs> I'll give it a 7.5 weasel gingers. Ouch. And uh, I'm going to give it 8.3 yops. And uh, that comes out to a 80% on Rotten Potatoes. Nice. Right. That's pretty solid. That's exactly what I gave it. All right. Join us next week. Uh, we're going to have. Uh, uh, Zach's pick next week. Uh, and it's going to be what, Zach? Jaws. Jaws. Join us next week, guys. Jake, mm-hmm. any uh, any final thoughts? Nope.